Amen. You can get one from the preacher. Gospel Ensemble, thank you for getting me ready to preach this morning. These texts I had to look at this week were hard. Sometimes my storage just didn't have much in it. Uh, but if you come to Resurrection Church and you expect something to happen, it will happen. And this choir will help make it happen. And all of our choirs, all of our church musicians. I'm grateful. Now, uh, Brother Wayne Wiggins, though, this being covered up with camels business. I don't, is that a blessing? From Isaiah? He, he, meant, he sort of made it sound like it would be a blessing to be covered up with, with camels, didn't he, Isaiah? Did you know, actually, that there were three Isaiahs? Did you know this? All right, now, friends, this is the benefit of a seminary education. <laughs> this is why y'all pay me. There were, actually, three Isaiahs. We don't really know their names. Uh, we assume the first one was probably Isaiah. Uh, but the, there were three men whose words and ministry challenges... Uh, were brought together to form what is now known in our Bible as the book of Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah. First, second, and third, Isaiah. The first person uh, we call first Isaiah prophesied the calamity that fell Israel when the Babylonians came and ravaged the land and tore down Solomon's temple. It was a hard word of judgment. And the Babylonians at that time had a habit of uh, forcibly removing the people that they had conquered from the place where they were. They would move them to other parts of the empire in hopes that they would intermarry with other peoples and forget about the family relations that they had before. Forget about the connection to the land that they had before. And most importantly, that they would forget about the gods that they had worshipped in those other places. Isaiah prophesied that this was going to happen to Jerusalem and in fact it did come to pass in that way. Israel was conquered and divided. And then second Isaiah spoke a couple of three generations later during the time of the exile to the people who had been in exile all their lives, had not known the old home place. And he called on them not to forget from whence they had come. He called on them to remember Zion. And he offered them a vision of their homes rebuilt and of a new time of peace when they would be back in those places that their grandparents and parents had talked about with such a glow in their eyes. That was second Isaiah. He called on the people to maintain their identity and they managed, those Hebrews, to maintain their cultural and religious identity in spite of all of the temptations to assimilate and held fast to worship of the one God that made them unique among all of their regional neighbors. So when there was a change of policy in Babylon and they were allowed to return to Jerusalem and Judea, uh, they still held on to the worship of the God of Abraham and Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah, and Rebecca, and all those other folks that were important too. They kept the faith, and they were given the gift 
of being able to return to their home. Now, it wasn't altogether free. Life often isn't. What they really operated under was what we would now call regional autonomy. That would be the geopolitical phrase for what happened for them. They were not free completely of Babylonian rule, but they at least were allowed to go home. And our text for today was spoken by the prophet we call Third Isaiah. And it is he who I think has a word for us at Resurrection Church today. The people to whom this prophet spoke remembered the time of exile as a historical event. Their parents or grandparents had been in exile. But they had been at home for a while now. Though the policy had been changed and a general amnesty had been announced, unfortunately, there was a difference between their homecoming and what they had anticipated. Because not everybody had been able to come home. The, the law passed, repeal of don't ask, don't tell, right? Uh, someday, sweet Jesus, an inclusive version of the Employment Non-Discrimination Act passes. Well, the law had changed but not everybody had been given the benefit of the law. Not everybody had been allowed to come home. One family, can't you imagine, was over here in the empire somewhere and the father had proven himself so useful to the ruling party that that family really wasn't allowed to go back to Jerusalem when the time came. Over here, there was another family headed by a mama who was the valued slave of the richest person in town. So probably the paperwork just never got processed, you know, down at the immigration office to get them home to Jerusalem. And over here and here and here and scattered all around, the majority of the folks that were not able to come back to Jerusalem were the very poor, whose poverty didn't allow them the luxury of uprooting their families and going back home to Jerusalem. Everyone hadn't been able to participate in the new freedom. So that was a source of discontent for the people. And those that had made it home found the job of rebuilding the temple, which was their primary task, and they knew it, to be harder than they had anticipated. Coming back from exile had taken everything they had. They were empty. Nothing left. People who had been impoverished by their oppressors were now given the task of rebuilding a temple they had never seen, but which they knew in their hearts required the very best that they could do for God. I know some people like that. Y'all look around at yourselves. Doesn't that sound like us at Resurrection Church? Thrilled to finally be home but still smarting with pain of separation from some of our family and friends. The dreams are so clear before us of what can be accomplished, but as soon as we try to get this temple built, we get the roof on, and, and then it's the gutters that can't quite be fixed. Have y'all looked at the gutters on our building? <laughs> Reverend Janice and I pray about those gutters every week. Sometimes it's a prayer that starts, Oh, Lord, what are we... <laughs> Joy Jolly, how your prayers start. 
Oh, Lord. Oh, Pepe, how do your prayers start? Says something about us as a church and our witness to the community that our gutters look kind of shoddy and that they don't really carry the water. Well, that's how we are. Happy to be home, full of dreams, but clear that sometimes building the temple in dark times is hard. It's to just such people that third Isaiah says, Arise, shine, remember who it was that called you home. Remember who it is that called you home in the first place. The prophet offers a beautiful vision of a time when they will be reunited with their families. And we can take that vision as our own. The children that had been torn away from them will come home pampered. I love this vision. They've been torn away from them by war. But they'll be delivered home as if they were in the care of their nannies. Isn't that a pretty vision? That Isaiah, that third Isaiah, at least he could preach. It's a vision of reconciliation in which their former oppressors will heap honor upon them and will fill the temple they can hardly furnish with the treasures of the sea and the land, coral and pearl and gold and frankincense that will waft up to God behind the newly rebuilt altar. Beautiful. The lovely vision, Isaiah says, will be fulfilled in the future. But the time to arise and shine is now. Caravans of treasure are coming. That's what all those camels are about, Brother Wayne. <laughs> Caravans of treasure are coming, but only, only if we remember who and whose we are and act now in gratitude and grateful obedience. Well, Harry, who are we? We're not, after all, post-exilic Hebrews. Am I right? So who are we? Well, we said on Christmas Eve that we were people of the light and that Jesus Christ is the source of that light. That's who we are. That's who Resurrection Church is called to be in the city of Houston, starting now. It's the light that led astrologers from Persia and Babylon, countries we now call Iraq and, or Iran and Iraq. Persia is now, what is Iran? What we now call Iraq used to be Babylon. To leave their homes, those astrologers, their studies and responsibilities and their families, and to make the dangerous trip to Bethlehem to worship a little baby that they believed to be the new king of Israel. Now the problem was Israel already had a good-sized king. He wasn't uh, much of a king. Herod, <laughs> Herod was not even Jewish. Uh, he was Idumean. The Idumeans lived about as far south of Judea as the, the folks in Corpus Christi lived from us. But he was the person the emperor had put on the throne. In Jerusalem and we heard about the darkness of which he was capable last Sunday when Reverend Kristen interpreted so powerfully for us the massacre of the children of Bethlehem that is actually the story that follows 
the story of the Magi that we heard this morning in Matthew's Gospel. The good news, the good news is that the wise men didn't travel all that way to worship another nation's king. Now you think about it. Would you get up and go if there was going to be a new king in some other country? If it wasn't your job to do so? You know, it's one thing for an ambassador to have to go do that. But they were not ambassadors. They were scholars. They were astrologers. What would make them get up and go to another country? I'll tell you what would make them do it. The belief that this person was going to be so special in their lives that they couldn't not go. Right? That's who they went to. <laughs> when they bowed down before Jesus, they acknowledged him as their own sovereign. The one whose light was so bright that it had to be from heaven. Now we and the Magi are beyond the threshold of the comfort of our interior lives now. We are out there amongst them. We're away from our notes. There are folks in this church worry about me getting away from my notes. <laughs> I'm one of them. We are out there beyond our comfort level in the world of sin that Christ came to redeem. The door of our heart is no longer just a portal. The door of our heart now is a threshold for our work. The work that we are called to do and that is uniquely ours to do, the work that won't get done unless Resurrection Metropolitan Community Church does it in this town. Oh, on the one hand, we're more at home than we have ever been, especially around this table. But on the other, we are called to be out there bringing light to the darkness that surrounds us. Can we do it? Yes. yes. And why? Because it's a powerful light. It's a powerful light. Here's what I believe. Friends, this is the first Sunday that I am officially your senior pastor. I know I've been acting like it for a while, but that was grace that uh, the search committee gave me. I got to come and, and play like one on TV for the first couple of weeks while we were doing Advent and Christmas. But this is my first official day, and it's the first day of the new year and the start of our new ministry together. So I want in this time to share with you a vision of who we must be. Who we must be. Here's what I believe. I believe that building on its great history of faithfulness, and this church has a powerful history, this church can be a powerful agent of reconciliation and community building in Houston and beyond. Now that's kind of broad and general. Specifically, all around us is the darkness of heterosexism and homophobia. It has broken and scattered our families. But we can heal not only our own families, but others too, by shining the light of love into the darkness. A couple of weeks ago, I got an email from my beloved Aunt Carol. 
congratulating me on my election to be your senior pastor and offering her and Uncle Doug's prayers for our ministry together. Hallelujah indeed. Because 15 years ago, they invited me not to talk with them anymore about being gay and surely not to talk about it in terms of Christ being in any way for it. What a difference time can make if you shine enough love on it, right? The vision won't be realized right this minute, but now is the time to rise and shine. Racism causes most of the world to live under a dark and threatening cloud. But when children come to this church, girls and boys and young men and young women see people like themselves in leadership up here. And they see that other people that are not like them are in leadership and they're pretty good leaders too. And those young people rise and shine as leaders. And oh boy, do we need them. We need you, you young people. You are the very one that we need as we go forward in ministry together. Gender bias causes most of the world to squint through a haze that distorts our view of each other into false dichotomies that drain women's power and enslave men to responsibilities that we can't possibly meet. But at Resurrection Church, we learn from transgender sisters and brothers that gender is a God-given gift of dynamic expression, not a dark prison of conformity and resignation. Here, women and men find their true identities. We rise and shine. At Resurrection Church, we rise as we are able and we shine. Those of us who roll into church are valued as highly as those who walk. Those who stammer truth or tell it with their hands are listened to with greater care for the value of what they have to say. Those who are only able to see with an inner light Oh, we listen to them with great care because that light is a light the rest of us might otherwise never behold. We live in the light and that light is the light of freedom. It is the light of healing and reconciliation of truth and love. It's a beckoning glow that invites heterosexual people to warm themselves at its source to find themselves loved by people accustomed to mistreatment, to see hope for freedom from oppression that makes all of our journeys dark when they could be bright with joy. That is the vision God has given Resurrection Metropolitan Community Church. And friends, I did not bring it with me from Washington. That's the vision you all articulated to me and have proven to me by your actions since Mike and I have been here. That's a great vision. I believe we can rise to meet that vision's challenges and shine through all our efforts to heal and help and build and embolden. You may be asking yourself, ooh, Harry, that look, sounds good on Sunday morning. It does. But where will we get the people and the wisdom and the money that that will take? That is not mine to know right now not right this minute 
Mine is to rise and go beyond the door of my comfort into the darkness, following the light of the vision that is before me. My task is to bow low before the source of the light, to humble my own ambitions and set aside my own ego, to prostrate myself before the one who left heaven to come here and be a baby. What epiphanies, what revelations, what gifts will come from doing so, I cannot know. Today, it is enough to know that God, God a very God, is here with us and is worthy of all the best gifts that I can offer. Now, does that mean we don't have a plan for a future? That we're just stumbling around in the dark? No. It surely doesn't. It does mean that I won't deliver plans to you and expect you to trust that they are brilliant. Hear me? I'm not going to deliver plans to you and ask you to trust that they are brilliant. We will develop those plans together, starting with a careful look at how we do worship over the next few months. I've asked Cassandra White, our Interim Director of Worship Arts, to recruit and lead a diverse committee of people who will represent all of the folks who make worship happen here. The obvious ones, the performers and the musicians and the preachers and all of us, but also the sacristans and the ushers and the people that do the work or day work of getting us through worship. And also I've asked her to, commit a, to, to find a committee of folks that represent all of you in your diversity. And that committee and task force will work together to find recommendations to make to me and to the board of directors about how we should go forward in worship and, as importantly, how we should staff that work together. This process will require us to keep always before us the vision of how God wants us to shine in this community and to put behind us our own comfort with what we're used to and our desire to always have things the way we like them. Building the temple in dark times isn't easy. We will have to stay in an attitude of prayerful adoration in order to have our worship reflect the light of Christ's love. But I believe. I believe that when we raise our heads from adoration, we will shine in such a way that it will draw all things that are needful to us. I believe that. I believe God wants us to have what we need and will make God's vision real through Resurrection Metropolitan Community Church in Houston and in all the world. Do you believe it? Yes. Amen. Amen. Amen.